So we are going to have some fun today. We're going to talk about eating. Who likes to eat around here? Yeah, all right. In fact, um, one of the craziest ways to make money out there, one of the craziest, I guess, professions is called competitive eating. Anybody know something about this? They actually show on ESPN once in a while um, from time to time, especially I think the 4th of July. It's a really big deal. People compete in contests, if you haven't heard of this, to see how quickly they can just kind of pack it away, no matter what the thing is that they're eating. And there are really large cash prizes. Uh, some people make a full-time living out of competitive eating. In fact, here's a guy on the screen here. Anybody? This guy's the world record holder for eating hot. There you go. Who knows the name? Joey Chestnut, that's right. Anybody want to guess? Uh, two years ago, he set the world record in 10 minutes. How many hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes did he put down? Any guesses? 74. Somebody said it. 74. That's really fast. That's really, I'm not a mathematician, but that's like eight seconds a hot dog, isn't it? That is insanity, right? And so these guys like him, these gals, there's women's versions too, they have these federations. They actually have organizations that they belong to, and there can be really serious cash prizes for winners. Um, I mean, now they have endorsements and sponsors, which is funny. I'm kind of like, I wonder who the corporate sponsors would be for a hot dog contest. My guess is like Rolaids, you know, Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Tums, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. But uh, a couple years ago, not including his endorsements, this guy, Joey Chestnut, made $230,000 in a year of winnings and endorsements as a competitive eater. I mean, holy smokes, right? Yeah, the doctor bills. I don't know if that comes with insurance, so yeah. Now, there's a whole bunch of other contests, too, not just hot dog eating. Uh, one of the weirdest ones that I read about happens in my beloved home state of Minnesota, where we have uh, a zombie festival, and the contest that they have at the zombie festival is brain eating. No lie. Pig brains, but still, it's just, I'm telling you what, I don't care how much money it is. I'm not doing that. That's just nasty, right? Um, how about anybody here, uh, here, anybody here like jalapeno peppers? Jalapeno peppers, right here. We got some jalapenos, this good old Arizona. Anybody want to guess what the world record is in one minute for jalapeno peppers? So 16. I'm guessing they must have had to be big ones. 16. That doesn't sound that hard, right? Do you think somebody here could break the record right now? You want to give it a shot? Does anybody, does anybody want to do a one-minute contest to see who can eat the most for, uh, for 10 bucks? You got, you got two takers? Yeah, not the teenagers, your parents. Yeah, you got a hand up. Who wants to go against you, Dalton? Somebody want to go against Dalton? Pete, you want to go against Dalton? No. <laughs> Dalton's mother-in-law says, no, you've been stricken from the contest. No, I was really going to do it, but all right, we won't push our luck here. All right, instead of uh, that, how about we just do ice cream sandwiches instead? Anybody want an ice cream sandwiches? Teenagers, come on, bring them around. Anybody that wants an ice cream sandwich, just raise your hand up, right? It's your lucky day. Our students are handing out ice cream sandwiches for anybody for free. Now, if you have dietary restrictions, I'm sorry to leave you out, but I couldn't find any gluten-free, lactose-free, sugar-free, taste-free ice cream sandwiches. So you can just smile and pass, but everybody wants one. Come on, we have plenty. We have more than enough. We we have lots and lots of ice cream sandwiches. I mean, think about this. We can't, we can't talk about eating without eating something together, right? Right? 
So ice cream sandwiches for everybody. Um, everybody that wants one. By the way, I'm taking a picture here. Don't mess up the carpet because I know who sat where, right? I've got a picture. If I see ice cream junk under your seat, uh-huh, we'll find you right here. So there are garbage cans lined on the side when you're finished. Um, if there was a competition for eating ice cream sandwiches, like who, how many, how many of you think, yeah, you'd be in? How many could you pull down in two minutes? Five-minute contest of ice cream sandwiches. How many do you think? Oh, we're not going to make you do it. I'm just... 20. Wow. I'd like to see that contest. We probably have enough in the freezer to do it after church. So, uh, hey, thank you, teenagers, for helping out here. Thank you, thank you. Um, but we're, we're not talking about competitive eating today. We're going to talk about another kind of eating. Uh, have you ever heard of the phrase, this really old saying that I just made up, uh, the phrase missional eating? Anybody ever heard of missional eating before? It's a really old saying that I just made up right there. Um, and, and thank you, Heidi. No, we're not eating missionaries. That's not what missional <laughs> eating means. Thanks for that, babe. Uh, missional eating, that, the idea behind it would be that, uh, that you, you and I eat meals with people on our mission on this planet, and I'll unpack that a little bit more in a few minutes. But we're in the middle of this series that we're calling Bless, and our denomination created a resources that hundreds of other covenant churches have been using, and they came up with some key missional practices that, that we see Jesus use in how he loved this world and loved the people around him and drew people to himself. And, and they came up with an acronym to help us remember these five practices that we're looking at over these five, six weeks here. Um, and before I kind of explain the whole blessing thing, I want to say this. One of the things that we really value in, in a huge way here at Hope Covenant is, is that we want to invite other people to follow Jesus. Uh, it's part of what Alpha is all about, is it's a way to invite other people to follow Jesus. Or if we're newer in our faith, or maybe we need some refreshers of why in the world we got into this thing in the first place, we want to invite people to follow Jesus. And sometimes we call it, uh, we use the phrase, taking one step closer to Jesus. Taking one step closer to Jesus. You've probably heard that if you've been around here for a while. And what that phrase there simply means is that wherever you are at in your walk with God, even if you're an atheist, even if that's where you would say, I'm an atheist, uh, we are just inviting you to take one step closer to Jesus. Because it takes a while for some of us to kind of go, okay, I do believe, but it's not just from, you know, atheist to I've, you know, quote unquote, crossed the line. There's, there's a journey that we go on of being open and wondering. And so whether you're somebody that doesn't have faith and you're just wanting to take one step closer, or maybe you're somebody that's been following Jesus for a long time, we still invite you, because there's always a way to take one step closer, one, one more way of following Jesus, the next step of what he's calling us into. So we really value here at Hope um, inviting people, inviting people to follow Jesus, not pressuring them, okay? See, inviting people to follow Jesus, which is another word for evangelism. And this is our fourth week here where we're outlining kind of our strategy at how we can invite people who don't yet know Jesus to consider following Christ. And we want to do this in a natural, normal, relational way. 
Uh, as we've talked about the last few weeks, the word evangelism has some baggage for some of us. But I just want to take the baggage off of the word evangelism and, and redefine it here. It simply means sharing your faith in Jesus with other people. That's what evangelism is. And rather than doing it in a way that many of us that have been around church or been around even the U.S., uh, a way that we're kind of, you know, um, depending on I'm supposed to memorize a script or I'm supposed to, you know, know all the answers before I can, you know, tell somebody about Jesus, uh, rather than doing that or beating someone over the head with your Bible, um, we're looking at five simple practices, just natural, normal ways for us to build authentic relationships with people. And we trust God that he's going to do what he does through us in a normal, natural way. And now part of why we're convinced that it's important for us to do this in these natural ways of sharing our faith is because there's no shortage of religious people who actually, I think, in the way that they try to evangelize, push people away from considering faith in Jesus. Like so many people have been turned off to a relationship with God, and, and maybe it's because there's been a religious or Christian, so-called Christian person in their life in the past who has not represented Jesus in a very accurate way. Maybe that person that they knew that said they were a Christian was judgmental. That person was harsh. And so people see that and go, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to know anything that person has to say. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to become one of those people. So they walk away from it. Or... Maybe it's someone who's been in a church situation where there's been a lot of pain, maybe even abuse. Maybe there's demands or hurt. And so because of that, they just walk away. They're ready to just forget about any kind of connection to God. Um, or, or the other one that comes to mind is, well, maybe people just have never heard the good news that Jesus not only wants to save them and offer them eternal life, it, it, that it's more than just, okay, you get to go to heaven when you die. It's more than that. But Jesus wants to give you life to the full here and now. Like it's not just fire insurance for after you die. What about right now? What about now? What about relationship with God right now? It's not about religion. It's about relationship. So we want to break down barriers like that and other ones in how you and I, especially here at Hope, invite people to follow Jesus. We don't do it by arguing or debating. We do it by praying, as we talked about the first week. We do it by listening, as Jim talked about last week. We do it by loving and serving, which are just ways of blessing other people. That's how we do this. Now, the word bless here, it's not just some generic religious word, like when somebody sneezes and we say, oh, God bless you. Um, bless comes from God's original call to his people. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham gets a promise from God before Abraham founds the Jewish nation, the forefather of the people of God, Abraham was told, even in his promise from God, that the purpose was not that he and his people were going to only be recipients of God's blessing, but they were to be dispensers of God's blessing to the world. God told Abraham, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples of the world will be blessed through you. 
And so our series is called Bless. And each way we're looking at a different way for us to bless the world around us and invite people to know Jesus, to invite people to consider following Jesus. And each of the letters in Bless is a, a, simple, is a different way um, to go about doing this uh, in a real practical way. So we started a couple weeks ago with the B in Bless. It was a little bit of a stretch, right? But it's begin with prayer. Um, begin with prayer. So we're asking God at the beginning of each day, God, how do you want me to bless the world today? How do you want to bless the world through me today? And how do you want to bless this person that I'm praying for? God, how do you want me to do that? And so we always begin with prayer. Uh, The second one, L, the L is for listen. Uh, Jim talked about this last week, how we listen to the people and, the, and we do it in the places that we live and work and do life. Instead of just assuming we know what someone needs, we offer our presence, our attention, our listening. We listen. Instead of being first to talk and have all the answers, no, no, no. We just, we close our mouths. We learn to listen to people. And today's service is brought to you by the letter E, which um, <laughs> I'm sure by now you've guessed is eat. You guys are brilliant, right? Now, have you ever heard a sermon on, you know, evangelistic eating before today, or like I said earlier, missional eating? Anybody before? Yeah, okay. Um, At first glance, it might seem like a little bit of a stretch. Okay, where are you going to pull this one out of the Bible, Doug? Um, But but I want you to think about the life of Jesus with me, just for a moment. If if we were to list all the different things that Jesus did on his, in his time when he was here on earth, if we were just to kind of go through, I think probably the stuff that would first come to mind for us uh, would be things like, you know, well, Jesus did teaching and healing and miracles and he prayed, he he walked on water, you know, he died on the cross. We'd think about that stuff. That's what he did. But think about this. Did you ever think about how part of the way Jesus showed his love to the people, his, his grace to people around was through eating, is through eating. I mean, there's lots of things. If we were to look at the life of Jesus and actually watch a movie of it, there's, we'd see a lot of things that he did that did not get written down in the Gospels. There's lots of things. In fact, there's a scripture that says if we wrote all the things down that Jesus did while he was on earth, I suppose the whole world didn't, wouldn't have enough space for those books. It must have been a small library, but still. Um, there's a lot more that happened in the life of Jesus. Um, so when we look at what it does mention... It's amazing that it does mention food, eating, supper, dinner with people all the time. Like, it keeps getting mentioned. And I think it was no accident that eating was woven through the stories about Jesus so many places. Where where Jesus would, he would sit down and he would spend time, he would eat with people. Jesus was intentional about eating with people. You could say that Jesus was a missional eater, right? He did it intentionally. It was, it was a part of advancing his mission to bring his good news to the people of earth. Now, here's one of my favorite stories that we're going to look at here today. Uh, it's a story of Jesus eating with people. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And it's actually about Matthew, the guy who wrote the book, and how he came to Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says... As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, 
Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. We'll pause for a second here. So what's happening, Jesus is walking along. He sees a tax collector named Matthew at the tax collector booth, which I guess would have been like his office. And Jesus walks up to Matthew. He says those two life-changing words. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now, the tax collector, right? And in Jesus' day, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth. I mean, it's not at all like how today in America, we, we love the IRS, right? So, very different, right? All right, next verse. <clears throat> verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to not, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So now when it comes to tax collectors, you know, there's a joke I'm so tempted to tell here that I heard from another covenant pastor and I thought, can I get away with this? It's really, it's a, it's a lawyer joke. Is that, should I tell it and leave it, skip it? What do you guys all right, so you know that people, we have lawyer jokes in our day, right? We got lawyer jokes. Um, it's kind of the good news, bad news type joke, right? So like, okay, the good news was that a busload of lawyers drove off the side of a cliff. That's the good news. And the bad news is that the bus had one empty seat. Yeah, I probably should have skipped that one, huh? Sorry, sorry. I have lawyer friends, Okay. But you know, our country, our people, our culture, we like to pick on lawyers. And back in Jesus' day, tax collectors would have been, you know, the butt of those kinds of jokes. And probably, not probably, it was way worse than just the butt of jokes. uh, Because Jewish society felt betrayed by the tax collectors. Uh, Israel was being ruled by Rome in Jesus' day. And when someone of their people became a tax collector... They got the job because they had bid for the position of being a tax collector. They didn't get a sign like, hey, you're going to have to be a tax collector. Sorry, bud. No, no, no. They wanted it. They bid for it. They campaigned for it with the Romans. Because in any country that Rome ruled back in those days, they had to collect taxes. And they knew that the best way to actually collect taxes from the people they were ruling was to have one of their folks, one of the people that were of that people group, be the tax collector. So they'd look for the highest bidder who would guarantee that they'd be able to collect the most taxes and then Rome would, you know, back that person up with an army. Um, So essentially, tax collectors were traitors to their own people and they would take enormous amounts of taxes. They would skim off the top and make a huge cut themselves. But since they were protected by the Roman soldiers stationed in their area, they were almost untouchable. People couldn't really get at them. They just hated them. Now, think about that and then look at how Jesus, the fact is that Jesus calls Matthew someone who's a tax collector. Somebody out of the most despised, looked down upon, slimy, corrupt circles. Jesus calls him to become one of the disciples. It was a shock. It's a huge shocker. And notice what Jesus did. The first thing that Jesus did after Matthew says, yes, right? He says, Matthew, follow me. Jesus, the first thing he did, it wasn't to take him into a class on how to be a disciple. He, 
He didn't get a book to read. He didn't go and study the scriptures and memorize all the scriptures. All those things are good things, but that's not the first thing Jesus did. First thing Jesus does is it says he goes to Matthew's house to eat. Interesting. And notice there, who else Jesus eats with at that dinner, right? Even more tax collectors, along with a group that the people of the day referred to as sinners, And quick side note here, the word sinners, it doesn't mean some people are sinners and other people aren't sinners. This this term sinner, in Jesus' day, it was kind of a catch-all derogatory term for anybody who wasn't religious. Anybody who was involved in like an illicit lifestyle, you know, prostitution or something like that. And so what you have is Jesus, this esteemed, respected rabbi, and he is eating with the most despised and looked down upon people kind of a, a who's who list of the socially unacceptable of the day. And to the leaders of the religious establishment who were watching this go down, this was scandalous. See, eating in those days um, was central to the whole of someone's life. And honestly, I'm not sure that I can quite grasp how important eating was because it was way more than just nourishment. I mean, you know, think about us and how we eat in our day. I'm not sure if we can grasp how important it was in that day. You think about, you know, I'm the guy who drives down the road with a burger in a hand uh, and driving with my knee, steering with my knee while I'm eating. I mean, this, and I call that eating, right? Right? Anybody else do that? Come on, don't judge me. I know some, yeah, I know a few of you, right? So I don't know if I'm capable of really grasping the whole significance of how socially important eating was back in that day. Um, The word is table fellowship. It was a phrase um, that was used a lot, table fellowship, and it had a lot to do with social status, right? So eating with someone was a statement that you wanted to be associated with them, that you considered them to be equal to you. Eating with someone was an affirmation of that person's worth, their value to you. It meant that you recognize that person's not inferior to me. And so if you have table fellowship with someone, it means that that person that you're eating with is somebody that you care about, somebody that you respect. And so people would not eat with someone that they considered was a lower social status. Uh, So in Jewish culture at that time, they clearly would not eat with non-Jewish folks, the Gentiles. Um... They absolutely would never share a table with a Samaritan because they considered Samaritans to be half-breeds. So because of that racism, they would not eat with Samaritans. But even more than not eating with those folks, uh, even if you were a Jew, but you did not have the same social status, if you were not up the rung on the ladder high enough, um, you would not be eating with someone that had lower status than you. Because who you ate with reflected upon, reflected upon uh, your status as a person, your status in the culture. So if you wanted to keep up your social status, you better not be caught eating with someone of lower status. And certainly not a tax collector. Definitely not with someone considered a sinner. Um, because it was a status thing. Teenagers, do you guys, does that still kind of happen in the lunch? When I, do you guys have that in lunch? Like or who you sit with? Matters or doesn't, and you can and can't. I'm seeing some yeses and some noes, yeah. So uh, it's really fascinating um, because into that environment where everybody's got the pecking order down and who you'll eat with and won't eat with, into that environment steps Jesus. (laughs) Intentionally 
breaking the rules, intentionally blowing up the ridiculous social structure that really is meaningless. And so Jesus is communicating a lot through this, what we might think is a mundane act of eating at Matthew's house. And of course, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they're super offended that Jesus is eating at a tax collector's house. So they ask the disciples, why is Jesus doing this? But Jesus overhears them and says, I kind of picture when he overhears their, their criticism, I kind of picture Jesus, you know, he's got a chicken wing, right, in his hand. He's like, guys, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Right? Now, Jesus was not... I like my imagination in these stories, okay? Thank you. Now, when Jesus said this, he was not saying that the Pharisees were healthy. They're good people that don't need a doctor. He's not saying that, and that these other folks are the messed up ones. Jesus was saying, hey, I'm on a mission with my life, and and you guys, you Pharisees, you don't get it. You're excluding people instead of embracing people. So when Jesus says to these religious folks, hey, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says that, and he's quoting the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, chapter 6, which the Pharisees would have been famous for knowing those scriptures backwards and forwards. So Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 listen, you know that God says in the book of Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So you know that in your head, but you don't really know what it means. Because if you do know what it means, you sure as heck are not living it out. You're not living it out. See, those were words back in Hosea that God had spoken to his people because his people in that day had become very meticulous about performing religious rituals while at the same time neglecting the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. So we got our stuff straight, we're doing all the right things, but we're ignoring the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized. And Jesus goes... (laughs) Nope, nope. And I'm sure they thought they had good reasons to neglect and avoid the poor, the marginalized, because it was people sidling up with the wrong political side of things or people that were sinners or whatever. (laughs) Those excuses don't exist in Scripture. So in that phrase there where Jesus is saying the healthy don't need a doctor, he's not saying that the Pharisees are really righteous and they don't need a doctor. He's saying through the rest of this passage, y'all need to live out that stuff that you are so well known for having memorized. Don't just know it. Do it. Now, one other thing, this kind of dust up between Jesus and the Pharisees over who Jesus ate with, it's not an isolated incident. It happened all over the place. Here's another thing that Jesus said to his critics, those from the religious establishment, from another story in the book of Luke chapter 7. Uh, the Son of Man, which was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. See, Jesus wasn't a drunk, he wasn't a glutton, but he was so frequently eating with people who were that he got accused of it. And what we see and what we need to see in the life of Jesus, that that eating was just something he did. It wasn't just because people, I eat because I got to live, that's just what I do. No, 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 no. He didn't just do it for that. 
Dave Ferguson, a pastor, says, eating was central to Jesus' mission of reaching and restoring the world. Jesus was a missional eater. Now, let's shift from this part on Jesus for a moment and look at us. Because Jesus gave us a mission as the church, the people of God. We've been looking at that the last few weeks. He gave us the mission to bless the people around us, to bless the world, to invite people around us to come to know and follow Jesus. And in this bless thing we've been doing, the E, again, this week stands for eat. And eating is a place where we can form relationships and go deeper with the people that we live near or work with or are friends with. Instead of just having surface conversations, we can actually go deeper by eating meals with people, just like Jesus did. And a few weeks ago, I asked each of us to come up with a Frank list. So look in your bulletin. You see this in your bulletin here? That's the Frank or the Franck list, right? And then it stands for... A different letter stands for each one, right? Um, And so Pastor Jim and I have been asking you guys to write down the names on here. Okay, so who is a friend that you're going to be praying for through this series? And by the way, we're taking that somewhere. So if you haven't done this, go ahead and pull it out and write it in now. Um, Or if you were here and you were like, eh, just please, yes, just do it. Come on, play along. So uh, friends, right? The R is for relatives, the A for acquaintances, List out some neighbors, coworkers, and these are people that we are committed to praying for at least uh, through this blessed series. And what we're doing is we're looking how we can pray. We're going to begin by praying for them. We're going to look for ways to listen to these folks on our, on our Frank list. And today, um, what we're going to do and what I'm doing is I'm going to ask you to invite at least one of the people on your Frank list to eat with you. That's the E. So... Um, if you don't have this list with you or, or you haven't done it yet, go ahead and fill it out right now and look for who you are going to invite to eat with you, like a friend that you're going to invite. You don't have to do the meal this week. Just invite them this week to have a meal with you sometime in the near future. Now, here's a great quote from a couple of guys who wrote a, a book called Right Here, Right Now. They said this, and this is part of why we're angling this way with why the importance of eating with folks. Sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally, I love this, we can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. (laughs) If, If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. I love that. I love that. Right? We change the world by eating. And I think they're right. I mean, just forget the whole rest of the world doing this. What if every believer here at Hope, everybody that follows Jesus in this church family, all you know, 300 or so of us, if we were all here at the same time on the same week, if everybody that called this their church home, if we all started regularly eating with our neighbors or our coworkers, our friends that don't yet know Jesus, can you imagine the difference it would make? Can you imagine Like, can that even ignite in our hearts the difference it can make? So one of the jobs that I did when I stepped out of church ministry and went through divorce about 
eight years or so ago, uh, one of the jobs that I did was to ride a pedicab. You know what this is? There I am. See the bicycle rickshaw taxi thing that's up in Minneapolis. Uh, a friend took a picture of that with me. <laughs> and so the, what we would do, uh, a friend of mine owned this business in Minneapolis, so I went back home for the summer, and I did that for a number of years. And um, what he would do, he had this big shop with a huge dinner area and kitchen, and he would make a ton of food. And then when we, the drivers, and at first there was like 15 or 20 of us, but eventually like 30 or 40 of us, um, whenever we would come in for a break or at the end of the shift, which is most of the time like 2 or 3 a.m., sometimes 4 in the morning, whoever came in at that part of the night, they would just sit down and eat whatever was left. And so here I was, kind of new to this driving the pedicab deal, and there were some really interesting characters. I wish I could go into it, but um, there were some really interesting characters, and here I am, you know, this, you know, former pastor. And some of the people that I got to know from the business there, the other drivers, they had grown up in Christian homes and, and walked away. Um, and at first, I think um, the sense I had was that at first when people heard that I had been a pastor, they were sort of guarded around me. But over the summer, because we'd sit down and eat together so often, um, people would start telling me their stories. They'd just start telling me about their life. And I think about one guy in particular, I'll call him uh, Justin, it's not his real name, but um, he was very angry, very angry. He said he was an atheist, um, and he clearly hated Christians. He was very cold toward me at first. But as the summer went on, and in time, over meals and having conversations, he started to tell me his story. Uh, he came from a family where his parents had passed uh, and he was given to his grandparents who raised him. And his grandparents and the aunts and uncles so that, that were there, they were very religious. Uh, they went to a church. But when he came out to them as gay, they completely cut him off. They cut him off. And when, when he finally trusted, it took a while, when he finally trusted and believed that I was not going to condemn him for his lifestyle, that, that I believed that Jesus loved him no matter what his struggles with sin were or any of those choices. When he started to trust that, and I wasn't going to condemn him or come down on him, his heart began to soften. And there's much more to the story, which maybe I'll tell another time, but, but um, me and a couple other guys that were working there that were Christians were like, hey, let's just Let's be kind. Let's just love this guy, right? Let's give him, let's give him a hug every day. And, um, and, and not the guy hug. You know the guy hug with the three taps? You know that? You know what the three taps mean? I'm not gay. That's what that means. So if you're secure in your manhood, you don't need to do that. That little tap thing, right? I said, let's give him a real, let's just, yeah, let's embrace this guy, which really disarmed him. But his heart was softening and softening. And, and eventually he would ask my advice about what was going on in his life. And, and even more, pretty quickly, this so-called atheist started to ask for me to pray for the stuff that he was dealing with in his life. Now, I don't know where Justin's at today in his walk with God or his faith. You know, we never like sealed the deal and prayed the prayer. But I do trust, I do remember that, that someone's salvation is ultimately up to God. It's not up to me. And so I trust God to be at work, and I believe that he is. And that relationship and others, one of the people on my Frank list is somebody that I met way back then that lives down here. Um, 
that I'm praying will come to know Jesus. It all started through eating meals together. And so eating with people, friends, it's absolutely essential to blessing the world. It's part of what we do in Alpha, right? It's a meal, a talk, and, and a group discussion. It's the three things right there. And that meal, you could think, ah, we'll skip over it. No, no, no. It's so important because that's where people talk. That's where they build relationships. And God has designed us in such a way that eating is not just a biological necessity for survival, but eating together can be a social, relational thing, and we can build relationships so much more easily over a meal. And friends, if we're going to bless this world and introduce them to Jesus, we're going to have to eat with this world. In fact, there's some creative ideas in your bulletin insert on the back there of different ways you can do this. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I don't have time for any of this, right? Um, I don't have time. I don't like having people in my house. Okay, so let's say you don't like having people in your house. Fine, then eat out. Okay, there you go. I am Mr. Solution Guy. Here I am. Um, somebody says, well, I can't cook. That's fine. Then carry in, right? Bring the food in. Others might be like, I don't want to do the cleanup after and have to cook like this meal. So here's the deal. Make your husband or your wife do one of them, Right? In our house, I'm going to get in trouble with some of the guys here. In our house, one of us cooks and the other will clean up, right? Right? Yeah. Some of the ladies are holding their breath like, oh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, and some of the guys, that's right, amen, amen. So split the duties up. Like, how does that sound, right? There's all kinds of reasons that we can go, oh, this is too hard to have people over, to be uncomfortable, and maybe I'll feel awkward. It's not my personality. But listen, I think that there are the payoff for doing this um, through pushing through our excuses, through getting out of our comfort zones, uh, is that we can discover the excitement that God intends for each of us to be involved in in drawing people to Jesus. Just loving them, no strings attached, simply by eating with people. And friends, let's not forget what's at stake here. This is about blessing the world. This is about helping accomplish God's ultimate desire for our world to come to know the love of Jesus and a step from death into life, from bondage into freedom, from darkness into forgiveness, this forgiveness and love that God offers. I mean, here's the real question. If you knew that the only thing standing between another person, so say a coworker, between another person and eternal life was just eating with them once even, would you do it? What, what if, what if the only thing that's standing between your neighbor and a saving relationship with Christ was you just inviting him for dinner? Like if that were true, if you knew that for a fact, would you do it? If you just knew for sure, yes, would you do it? Yeah, I know you would. Like, you all have amazing hearts. I know you would do it. And listen, I don't know in the story I told from before if my time that I spent eating with my pedicab coworkers is going to make a difference in their eternity, but I'm not going to lie to you. It feels great to know that somehow, someday, it might. It might. And so we don't discount that stuff. And, and again, this is not having like some... Messiah complex that it's all up to me. You know, it's all up to me. I have to do this. Oh no, the pressure is on, the weight is on. It's not about that. This is about being on the Messiah's mission. See, Jesus has given you and me a mission of blessing the world, of telling them about 
him. So will we rise to his call on our lives? Uh, Real quick, some of you, again, this still makes you nervous. So listen, do this together. Do this with other people. You don't have to do this alone. We encourage everybody to get into a small group here because we're never supposed to pursue walking with God by ourselves. So what if the small groups here at Hope, and we have a handful, and we're trying to start more and more, but what if those small groups that were here, what if once a month you kind of paused what you normally do and just did a barbecue or a party or a dinner once a month, and you invited the neighbors and coworkers and friends, didn't do a Bible study that week, just hanging out and talking with people. Maybe that would be somebody's first taste of your group, And maybe it would be their first taste of this church. And maybe it would be their first taste of a relationship with God. And so if you're not in a small group yet, why don't you make this year the year that you finally get into one or even help to start one? Because you'll find that every one of these missional practices is much, much more fun and easy and impactful when you don't have to go it alone. And listen, even as a church, if half of us started doing these missional blessed practices on a regular basis, we would start to see the places that we live and work change. Things would be different. People would begin to find their way to God or back to God. Broken and lost parts of of the lives that God intended for the people around us, that stuff starts to get restored as we introduce people to Jesus. Now, I could just say... Amen, and we're not, we're not doing a closing song and, and send you out the door. Um, you might even feel a little inspired about this. Maybe you're wondering, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do this. But I'm telling you, I've been praying, and I'm going to continue to pray, that, that God would not let us forget his call on our lives to touch others, his call for us to bless this world through prayer and listening and eating And I don't want to just bounce out of here, so I'm going to make a very practical ending. And here's how we're going to close today. We've got five things. We're going to put them on the screen. I'm going to run through them real quick, okay? So here's the five things. Now, most people would say, hey, come on, preachers. You can't do more than three. People won't remember more than three. But you guys are smarter than the average congregation, amen? Amen? Okay. Was this sure? This side isn't sure, but you guys are confident. It's good. Okay. So here we go, the Frank list. So grab that, take it with you, keep it with you, put it in your pocket. If you have one already filled out, there is a basket back there. If you write those names down on something, we'll add them to the list of people that we are praying for. We're praying as a staff for lots and lots of people because a number of you have given us the names of those five and thrown it in there and said, hey, will you pray with me? We're doing that. So use that Frank list and commit to pray daily for the rest of this month into our September launch of our new series. So commit to pray daily. Now, if you're like me, how many of you like me have not remembered to pray daily? Okay, okay, so a handful of honest ones. The rest of you, I'm impressed. If you could give me some tips, that'd be great. Um, I forget, I forget. So we're gonna start sending out daily text reminders. There's a handful of you on this list. If you text that number right there, Just text that number that's on the screen. You can pull out your phone in church again today. Look at that. Text that number. You'll be on a list, and uh, Pastor Jim sends out those texts, and you will get daily text reminders just to help trigger, oh, yeah, I need to pray. And you can pray through your list right there. Uh, The third thing is this. Okay, so as part of today's message, who are you going to invite for a meal this week? If you have a Frank list, pull one of those names off there. If you don't, just 
Figure out who you're going to invite. Maybe even decide right now who you're going to invite to share a meal with you or one of these other creative ways, you know, get a coffee, uh, share a pizza, something, right? Do any of that. Um, but, but who are you going to invite? Decide. Invite them this week. Get it scheduled this week. You don't have to do it this week, but put it on the schedule this week. Next thing, we talked about it earlier. Alpha is starting Tuesday night, September 10th. Listen, Alpha is not something where we put up a sign and we just hope people are going to come. We would love it if it worked that way, but people come when they are invited by someone else. Friends, this will change the lives of some of the people that you invite. I can't remember if I said this just in prayer, our pre-service prayer, or if I said it in here, but we had someone last time who identified as an atheist at the beginning and now they are following Jesus and they're a part of our church. And there were lots of other stories too. So um, Alpha, think about who you can invite to that. Use our tools on the, on the Facebook stuff. And uh, we're going to get some printed materials as well. And the last thing I want to tell you about is uh, we want you to invite people to church on Sunday. Um, Sunday, September 15th, we're going to call it This is Hope. It's a week that's designed for you to bring a friend, um, somebody from your Frank list or, or whatever, and we're going to highlight, the message is going to highlight our no perfect people allowed deal, right? Our theme that lots of people come here because of, we're going to highlight that. Um, we're going to invite people that want to follow Jesus to consider following Jesus to even make that commitment that day. And then after service, we're going to have a catered lunch. Thank you, Benny and Stephanie and Brown Brothers Catering. Um, so we're going to have a catered lunch right here. We're going to move a bunch of stuff around and we're going to eat together. So whoever you bring with you, we're going to eat together here. And there's going to be a ministry fair, uh, which will be lots of tables of different ministries that are happening and ways that people can get uh, plugged in and get involved. So those are your five things to do. Go ahead and use your phone to take a picture if you need. Uh, we'll email this out on the weekly email. Because um, friends, it really is an honor for you and I to be able to love and serve and bless this world and richly um, in rich ways through hospitality and kindness and to just watch what God does through those things. Will you stand with me? Amen. I like that. You stand for closing prayer. God, it's an honor to be your people. Those of us that have made decision to follow you, um, we know that you have changed our lives and without you in our life, um, where would we be? <laughs> where would we be? I pray, God, that you would give us your heart for the people around us, the people that don't yet know you, the people that don't yet follow you. And those of us that have felt pressured or nervous, will you just let that pressure come off and let us uh, find ways to just be kind, to, to pray for people, to listen to them. And will you show us even um, specific folks who you're drawing to yourself so we get to partner in what you're doing to bring them to you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And the people of God said together, Amen, amen.